Good evening, everyone. It's really nice to see some folk I really know well and haven't seen for a long time. And really nice to see some of you new folk that I don't know. I don't even know. Have we met? Uh, Jenny and Belle, have we ever met? No, no. Okay, well, hi. No. Nice to see you. Hi, hi, hi. Um, I, I, I wanted to be slightly, I just read something earlier that I thought was really interesting. I thought it's slightly provocative to start the talk with. It's nothing to do with the talk, really, but um, it was uh, it's quite small print, so I've got to strain and look at it. It starts off with something like, it's about, from the Bible, and it says, Holy art thou, O God, of whom all nature hath been made an image. Holy art thou, O God, of whom all nature hath been made an image. Anyway, commenting on this particular chapter in the Bible, um, a 20th century Vedanta teacher, I don't know if you know anything about Vedanta, the Indian tradition, it's really all about uh, oneness. Um, anyway, this teacher, this Vedanta teacher said, when you see the world, you see God. There is no seeing God apart from the world. Beyond the world, to see God is to be God. And then goes on to say, thus, our only access to God is through the images on the screen of perception that we call the world. These images are the extrinsic appearance of God's conscious inner life. Say that again. These images are the extrinsic appearance of God's inner life. Conscious inner life. Beyond them, the only way to know God is to gain direct access to God's inner life. That is to be God. Okay. <laughs> now, one of the cones in the first 200 cones is show me the face of God. Okay, who, who wants to show me the face of God? <laughs> we could all get burnt at the stake for this. You, you know that, don't you, a few hundred years ago? <laughs> I am God and you are God. Hi. <laughs> Fascinating idea, eh? Okay, so that was a sidetrack. I thought because this was the first um, first talk in the new year, I'd kind of just look, go to back to base again and say say the same thing that I've said a hundred times that you're probably bored of by now, but I'll say it again. Um, again, it's, I've written it down in, in, in small type. The historical Buddha clearly saw that everything changes and not like that our ignorance, which is a fundamental cause of our dissatisfaction, suffering and unhappiness arises from our unwillingness to accept the fact that everything, including the self, is impermanent. Basically, the first statement is saying that our lack of satisfaction or our sense of this ease 
however you want to say it, is because we're unwilling to accept the fact that everything, including ourselves, is impermanent. And an outcome of that, certainly for me, and has been, probably still is, is this search for some place, some secure place to stand. And I'm of the age now where I can look back and see that an awful lot of the things I did when I was young was to create what I felt were conditions in the future that would allow me to feel safe and secure. And you know what? The future never arrives. <laughs> I'm now, I am now, I am now in a situation where 20 years ago, I would have thought everything would be hunky-dory. I'll be completely safe. I've got enough money. My health is not too bad. So all I'm saying is that this, this sense of dissatisfaction we have out of our unwillingness to accept the fact that everything is impermanent is we're always postponing the present in order that in the future, we'll feel safe. And guess what? You don't, you won't. <laughs> so, yeah. So enjoy yourself, that's one thing. For sure. So I'll carry on. I hope this, I think this will resonate with you. So facing the contradiction between the inevitability of change and our resistance to it has always been the heart of this practice of Zen practice. And, you know, if you've read, read any of the stories, they're always come round to the same point. Cone practice, Zen stories. They're all about freeing ourselves from attachment to form, to beliefs, to ideas, to concepts. Um, and Bodhidharma, when he was asked about Zen by the emperor, he said, vast emptiness and no holiness about it. Vast emptiness and no holiness about it. Sounds rather a bit dismal, really, isn't it? Vast emptiness and no holiness. Not much to get a handle on there. No sex, drugs, or rock and roll in vast emptiness and no holiness about it. So, and uh, Dogen talked about dropping off body and mind, letting go of attachment to body and mind. Now, all these, all these ideas are, are about are aimed at freeing us from the bonds that we create ourselves that restrict us. You know. And just to summarize. Why do we suffer? Why? Well, suffer is a very strong word. We can say, why, we, why, we, why do we constantly carry this un, you know, under the skin sense of things aren't quite right? Things aren't quite right. Even when they're right, there's a feeling that they're not quite right. Or, or if they are right and they're great, the feeling is that they'll, you'll lose them and they'll be gone. Why, 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 why do we carry this? And how do we free ourselves from it? And from the fear and stress that arises out of it. 
And what does it take to live in harmony with ourselves? All big questions. What does it take to live in harmony with ourselves? I'd like to be able to give you a very, you know, one-line answer to that. <laughs> I can't. It's, uh, yeah. But bottom line, the Buddhist teaching and practices are about giving us a set of tools to, 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 to liberate ourselves to whatever degree. You know, it's a spectrum. Um, depends where you start, I guess. Um, Reminds me of that joke where they, somebody asked an Irishman uh, for directions, and he said, this is not a good place to start. <laughs> it's always the same in our lives. Wherever we are is not a good place to start. But it's the only place. So what does it really mean to be free? And I think this is the, you know, this is the confusion that arises you know, when we certainly you know, in practice and our views of practice and the idea of practice, you know, what does it mean to be free? How do we become free? And I think most of us have this idea that it's like a kind of stress-free life where, you know, like a sunny meadow all the time and everything's lovely. The birds are singing, the blossoms on the trees. It's all great. Um, sadly, my experience is it isn't like that. And in fact, freedom is definitely not the absence of restraints or difficulties or the experience of getting what we want. Um, so hard. Is that, I'm sorry, it's a tough talk for the beginning of the new year, but that's better, I think. But, yeah, life is always, it's always going to bring you know, pain and loss. And I suppose the freedom, I don't suppose, I kind of know pragmatically for myself, that the freedom, the basic freedom comes from how we choose to respond to what comes up in our life. We can react you know, in an unhealthy or limiting way, depending on our own patterns. Well, we can meet we can meet the moment with kindness for ourselves and for anyone else who's involved. Um, we can not just accept or be fatalistic about our situation, but we can actively choose to actively embrace it. Um, and finally, I think the most important thing is that. The, the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni, was very clear that even when we take refuge in the three treasures, the Buddha, Dharma, the Sangha, and the you know, Dukkai, the Tokido, you take refuge in the three treasures. Finally, where's the only place that you can really take refuge? is the only place where you can really take refuge. Sorry. 
I didn't hear, sorry. Is that Margarita? Hi, Margarita. I just did this, this very moment. No. In this, this moment, did you say? Yeah. Yeah, 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 kind of in this moment, but I was thinking more of in ourselves. You can only take refuge finally in yourself. Yeah. Yeah, oh. really, finally. Um, yeah. So just on the same theme, I think when we come into spiritual practice or a spiritual life, we, we, we often do misunderstand it. And we do think that maybe by entering a tradition like this, this tradition, Zen, or the Buddhist path, that we, that we, you know, we might be able to rise above all our human dilemmas and difficulties and to escape them to some kind of higher place transcend them and you know there are there is peace and there are beautiful places uh, within a, the training and doing session meditation uh, where where you, you know you can have a wonderful experience and in the sense of a shift in your perspective and your understanding um, but then Inevitably, for all of us, you have to go back home. And um, I think it was Ram Das that said, you need to remember your Buddha nature and your social security number. You need both. So if you only remember your, you know, your to-do list and all the things, jobs you've got, worldly jobs, then you know life can get really boring and lose its mystery. Uh, on the other hand, if you uh, you know <clears throat> try to be full of light and love all the time, um, then you you're going to miss your own humanity and and, and other people's humanity. Um, yeah. So if we, if, we, if we want to lead a conscious spiritual life, then we definitely have to depend on knowing that we're both pure consciousness, the absolute, and we're also flawed human beings. And um, can we love both? It's easy to love this idea of this pure transcendental consciousness, but can you, can you, can you take on yourself? Can you forgive yourself? That's tough, yeah. I think I said this in an earlier talk, so forgive me, but I think it's really worth remembering that we're not just humans learning to be Buddhas. We're Buddhas learning to be human. We're learning to be fully human. So the Buddha side, the absolute side, and the form side, the human side, they're, they're, mut they're mutually enhance our lives. Yeah? This is what somebody wrote as a final, I really like it as a final conclusion. The great paradox of being both human and a Buddha or, or a God 
is that we are both dependent and not dependent. Part of us is completely dependent on people for everything, from food and clothing to love, connectedness and inspiration, and help with our growth. Our Buddha nature is not dependent. That's the absolute truth. And our human embodiment is the relative truth. And we need to, we need to be both. So Genpo Roshi has a very a wonderful kind of symbolism for this. So it's like a triangle. And on one corner, you've got human embodiment or, or, or form. On the other bottom side of the triangle, you've got Buddha or absolute. And at the top of the triangle, you've got a way of being in life which transcends them both. And as well, the triangle spins around. Sometimes you can be caught up with your life, other times you can be feeling a connectedness with everything. Sometimes you can feel both. And, and feel reassured that this little worm of dissatisfaction that we all carry is, is human. We all have it. It's not a personal failing. Now that's, that's, I think it's really important to remember that, that part of the human condition is we do have this sense of dissatisfaction. And it's not that you failed in your life or you failed as a human being. It's part of being alive. I'm done. I'm done with my sermon. <laughs> you got anything to ask, say, comment, observe? Go for it. Oh, hello, Sheila. <clears throat> Hi, Roshi. Thank Hi, you. Pleasure. I'm just, uh, yeah, as usual, confused. Um, <laughs> Join the club, Sheila. We're all in the club. <laughs> okay. Um, so the third noble truth is there is an end to suffering. Yeah. And yet, you seem to be saying there is no end to suffering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm confused. <laughs> Same both. Same both. If you think there's no end to suffering, you'll be disappointed. But if you think suffering will end, you'll also be disappointed. Sheila, even if you find a wonderful place of peace in your life, yeah? Yeah. When you go shopping or you meet your friends, what are you going to meet? What are you going to see? Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 I'm going to see suffering. Yeah. 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 And I, I can either say, oh, yeah, but it's not my suffering. But that is not right. No, no, no. If I see suffering. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the whole essence of this tradition, isn't it? You know, the, the idea of a, of a bodhisattva, how much we can manage it. Yeah. I think we one of the one of the four vows is um, first one. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them. <laughs> That's a pretty thankless task, isn't it? They're numberless, and you vow to save them. Yeah, and, and they're already saved, and they don't need saving. It's both. It's always both. It's hard for the uh, rational brain to take on board. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Sheila. It's a really, you know, essential thank point. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Rashi. I just thought of something, Sheila. This is. This is what Dogen says about finding peace within, within the idea of dissatisfaction and suffering. He says, if impermanence is the worm at the heart of the apple of the self, making suffering a built-in factor of human life, then permanence, the permanence of impermanence is the petal emerging from the flower it makes happiness possible. Impermanence is permanent. The ongoing process of living and dying and time. Permanence is nirvana, bliss, cessation and relief. So he's saying to under, understand and really embrace the permanence of impermanence is the way to relief and cessation. Can we do it? That's the thing. You know, can you can you really do it? Yeah. It's rare that it's rare that a person can do it completely. You know. There aren't many Ronaldo footballers in the world, and there aren't many Buddhas. So yeah, we do what we can. We're in the we're the Tramaya Rovers of Buddhist practice, Sheila. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, sorry. Hi, Ben. Hi. Um, so I was just kind of thinking, is that a bit like embracing um, our lives with all of its facets? That, that full, full, you, you mentioned um, like active acceptance or act, yeah, active... Yeah, yeah embracing rather than sort of resignation or sort of oh it just is what it is there's, there's... exactly yeah that not a kind of passive acceptance but really yeah taking it yeah taking it on board this is my life yeah yeah i know it's not it's not easy when unpleasant things arise yeah Thanks, Ben. It's very nice to see you all. Should we do four vows? I look forward to seeing you in a fortnight. I think I'm... What are you?
I'm I'm at second and fourth Thursday of every month, so next, I'll see you. I'll see you in a fortnight if I don't see you before. Thank you, thank you. Nice to see you all.